Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today we're going to venture on over to Battle Creek and talk about the first schoolmaster in Battle Creek, as well as some of the early one-room schoolhouses, and cover a little bit of the history of the early school systems in Battle Creek and surrounding areas. So come along and join me. So let's go back to the early days of Battle Creek, Michigan. Most children lived on farms and went to school in one-room schoolhouses. The first schoolhouse built in Battle Creek was in 1834. The village was founded in 1831, so it was three years before the first school came into existence. The classrooms in the one-room schoolhouses of this era looked very different from what we see today in normal school systems. Desks and seats were very simple. Boards were fastened to the walls to make desks. Other boards with wooden legs were used for seats. The textbooks were papers the schoolmaster had copied or handed out. How did these early schools come into being? Well, an early law in the Michigan Territory said that when there were at least 50 families living nearby, they had to build a school. So Battle Creek's first schoolhouse was built in 1834. Children from the village and from the Gogwack Prairie attended this school. As more people moved to the area, more schools were built. By the end of the decade, most areas around Battle Creek had at least one school. The first schoolhouse was built from logs cut from the nearby forest, and Warren B. Shepard was the first schoolmaster. He had seven students in his school. Schoolhouses were more than just classrooms in those days. They served also for church services and village social events. And this schoolhouse in Battle Creek was also a place that the Potawatomi Native Americans often dropped by to attend or look in on some of the classes. So I want to take a sidestep here for a minute and talk about Warren B. Shepard. As I mentioned before, he was the first school teacher in Battle Creek. He came to the village in the spring of 1834 from New York State. He attended school at Aurora Academy and then taught school at Sardinia, New York for two years. The following recommendation was given to him on November 26, 1831 by the principal of Aurora Academy, Professor George Washington Johnson. And it read, Warren B. Shepard has attended Aurora Academy and received instructions in reading, spelling, penmanship, geography, a review of Cobb's rudiments, Kirkham's grammar, parsing, DeBole's arithmetic, oratory, Blair, rhetoric, and surveying. His deportment has been that of a gentleman. And that was the recommendation. So with this good certificate that he had secured, Mr. Shepard found a position as schoolmaster in the fall of 1834 in Battle Creek. The books used in this school were the Old English Reader, DeBall's Arithmetic, and Woodridge's and Olney's Geographies, Kirkham's Grammar, and the Old Columbian Speller. While teaching school, Shepard boarded with William Farnsworth's family, and when he came here, he bought a farm on Riverside Drive, upon which he lived until his death in 1875. In September 1838, he bought more land 
And the first deed that he had on his land was signed by President Andrew Jackson. Another deed was signed by President Van Buren. Shepard was a farmer, but also in the early day was a partner with John Champion in brickmaking. And that brickyard was located on Gogwack Lake. It was the first brickyard opened in Battle Creek. And Mr. Shepard was a lifelong active worker in the Baptist Church and one of the leaders of the Democrat Party in this section of the state. Recalling some of the names of the first scholars of the first school over 40 years later, Mr. Shepard mentioned as among his first pupils was Hannah and Lucinda Angel, daughter of Dedabiah Angel, and later Mrs. Henry Andrews and Mrs. Jacob Clark, Mary, the daughter of Judge Sands McCamley, and afterwards Mrs. L.H. Stewart, General Convis sent his sons, Albert and Ezra, and his daughter afterwards, and Mrs. Van Armen, wife of perhaps the greatest criminal attorney in Michigan ever, sent their children. And Moses Hall sent his children, Eliza and Hastings. And there were also children from the families of Daniel Thomas, Isaac Toland, Nathaniel Barney, and Deacon David Salter, and also another pupil by the name of William Kirk. Mr. Shepard also remembered that the Native Americans from the Potawatomi tribe were frequent visitors to the school during the winter. They seemed to regard him as some sort of a missionary, like Father Marquette, teaching the pale-faced children about the mysteries of the Great Spirit. The first school and its immediate successor were not public schools in the sense that we have them today. They were supported with tuition, paid by the fathers who had children entered there as pupils. And that last reference I just read regarding Warren B. Shepard came from the Wymick file at the Battle Creek Historical Society. And there's an article that was written, it appears to be somewhere in the 1930s, that describes some of the artifacts that they had at the Historical Society and about Warren B. Shepard. And they had the schoolmaster's first notebook, which included a lot of interesting information. And I'm going to read you some of this article about it. Mutton, 11 pounds of it, could be purchased in Battle Creek for 55 cents. But that was in 1835, almost a century ago. So obviously this was written somewhere in the 1930s. And a thrifty housewife might have a shiny new broom for the lavish sum of 20 cents and 10 pounds of flour for 47 cents. This illuminating information on the price of foodstuffs and household necessities was gleaned from the notebook of Warren B. Shepard, who taught the first school he established in Battle Creek. The book is one of a collection of belongings to the town's first pedagogue, which is now in the Battle Creek room at the new Central National Tower. The books were loaned for display in the room through the courtesy of the public schools. The books, seven in all, were used by Mr. Shepard to instruct the youth of Battle Creek in the first years of the town's experience. In those days, the town consisted of little more than a rude cabin built along mud streets. And although the town only had settled in 1831, its early citizens were quick to see the necessity for education for their children. And they built their first school in 1834, as I mentioned before. But three years after the walls of the first log hut had been raised, Mr. Shepard took charge of the school and remained for many years, as entries in his private notebook show. English grammar, Latin, simple arithmetic, geometry, surveying, 
and higher mathematics were taught to the students of the first schoolhouse. The pupils who trooped into Teacher Shepard's classroom to sit awkwardly on rough benches did not possess books, but learned their lessons from the teacher as he intoned them from a platform at the front of the room. They copied down the lessons on slates and then repeated them back to the teacher, or attempted to. And then it goes to describe some of the books that were used by Shepard. Uh, geometry books, uh, New Testament, and some older texts that went back to as early as 1786. There was an English reader, there were books on Latin grammar, and books by English authors prominent among them were Goldsmith and Addison. And many of these books were collected and saved in the collection, but the prize of the collection was the notebook that belonged to Warren B. Shepard. It was filled with notes and lectures for the classroom and notes of his personal affairs. The notes had been compiled in a rambling sort of fashion. On one page could be found a diagram for a lecture on surveying, inscribed carefully in ink, and on the next, some personal expenditures sprawled roughly by pencil. Right after a lecture on verbs is a note that on June 16, 1849, he sheared his purebred merino sheep. Elsewhere is a recipe for making ambilious pills. So the display of books that belonged to the Battle Creek's first school teacher was a display that was put up at the um, new Central National Tower downtown uh, in the 1930s. And that was the summary of that article about Warren B. Shepard and his collection. And I found another reference that they gave that they used for teaching students from the Historical Society, uh, from Heritage Battle Creek, and this was published in 2011, and this was made available at the Battle Creek's Willard Library. They have a display right now, the early schools and some of the material, and you can go pick up some of these references. They have copies of them available for you. So if you go to the Willard Library, ask to see the uh, one-room schoolhouse display. It'll be on display for a full month, and then next month they will introduce a new display. And I went to the opening of this just a few nights ago. So in his school, Warren taught many different subjects. He kept a notebook where he wrote about the lessons that he taught. He wrote about surveying and arithmetic and reading and writing. And there were 25 pages of notes just on sentences. In his notebook, he said, A sentence is an assemblage of words making complete sense. And this handout is quite interesting. They, they show copies of his pages in his handwriting. And there's this one full page on surveying, which is quite fascinating that they were teaching students of the day. And that was an important thing about land surveying. So moving on, in 1838, the first school in the Gogwak Prairie area opened, and some of the students had textbooks and slates and slate pencils, as well as quill pens and writing books, but there were no blackboards. Children read aloud in the morning and then practiced writing or penmanship in the afternoon. They studied spelling twice a day, and older children learned arithmetic on their own and then checked their answers with their teacher. And as the village of Battle Creek grew, more and more schools were needed. And then in 1850, people from Battle Creek, Bedford, Emmett, and Penfield joined together and built a union school. This large school cost $6,000 to build and held 1st through 12th grades. So now we're seeing the schools evolving into what we're more accustomed to today with elementary schools and middle schools and high schools. 
Aristus Hussey, who was a former mayor and he was also a conductor on the Underground Railroad, was an important leader in the building of the Union School. When Battle Creek became a city officially in 1859, all of the elementary schools were consolidated and new schools were built. The new buildings had four large classrooms with blackboards. The teacher's desk was a special platform that was higher than the rest of the room in the back of the room. And the new school had a bell. The rope was in the principal's office, and it was a special reward for a student to go in there and ring it. Outside, an oak fence enclosed the separate playgrounds for the boys and the girls. And as a note, the Franklin Elementary School was one of the first new schools that were built after the village of Battle Creek became a city in 1859. Many of the one-room schools were still being built around the country at that time, around Battle Creek. The Kane School was built on the corner of Gethings and Helmer Roads in the 1870s. And the one-room school was used until children began to attend the new Lakeview School in 1949. The Kane School was no longer needed, and it was moved several times. And in the Kane School now resides on the grounds of the historic Adventist village in Battle Creek. So at certain times of the year, when they are giving tours out there, you can go see the Kane School. Now, back when they had a one-room schoolhouse, all the grades were together in the same large room. Most schoolrooms had a blackboard in later years or a globe, and they had maps. They had a library bookcase, a stove to heat the room, and pictures of Presidents Washington and Lincoln. And there were shelves where lunch buckets were kept. Sometimes the seats were long benches, and the desks were tables used by several students at the same time. And this was the setup inside of the Kane School, which you can still see at the historic Adventist Village. And there's some interesting history here about the Union School Furniture Company. In 1874, Uriah Smith from Battle Creek invented a school desk and a chair combination that was used in many local schools. The seat folded up automatically when the student stood up. So even when a student had his hands full of books, the seat took care of itself. The Union School Furniture Company factory, where there were desks made for this as well, was near the W.K. Kellogg Foundation building, where that stands today. And during the days when these schools existed, there were many different ways for students to get to and from school every day. The schools were built every few miles, so many students walked, sometimes as far as two miles each way. That was a short distance in those days. And other students rode a horse or their bicycle. Sometimes that was called a wheel to school. Now, during the 1890s, many children only went to school from October through March. For the rest of the year, they worked on the family farm. And I think that's why you still have summer vacations structured the way they are, where the warmer months people are off, because back in the day, that was the time where kids would return to the farm and they would work from spring until fall on the family farm. And during that time, they would feed the chickens, they gathered eggs, they carried wood, we did the garden, picked berries, and helped with canning. There was often a summer session for children that were too young to do farm work. So the really younger children would stay in school while the older kids would work on the farm. And they also did other things like tilling soil and planting in the early spring. And some of them also helped with the harvest. And if they were working on a dairy farm, 
they helped with the livestock. When the students were in school, they often went from 9 a.m. till 3.50 p.m., and there were two 15-minute recesses during the day and an hour for lunch. The teacher was responsible for all of the school jobs. There was no principal, no secretary, no lunch lady, no custodian, no playground supervisor or school nurse. Students had to help clean the school themselves, and they had to carry water and gather firewood for the stove. Now, beginning in 1892, the Kane School in Battle Creek, those children began their day with something new, and it was the Pledge of Allegiance. They said, I pledge of allegiance to the flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. In 1954, the Congress of the United States changed and added two new words to the pledge. And those words were under God. In 1892, the flag of the United States that the students of the Kane School saluted had 44 stars on it. The territory of Wyoming had just been added as a new state. The next territories to become states were Utah, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Arizona. Alaska, and Hawaii. Today, the flag has 50 stars to represent the 50 states of the United States. Teachers in these one-room schoolhouses were very strict. Students had to keep their eyes at the front of the room or on their work, and they had to sit up straight. There was no talking and no smiling. Students who broke the rules were punished at school and often at home later. They might have to wear a dunce cap while standing in the corner or stand with their nose touching the blackboard. The teachers might strike their palm with a ruler. You know, I went to elementary school in the 1970s, and we still had teachers that whacked the back of your hand with a ruler even then. So that practice kind of hung around for a long time. Of course, I was at a private school during those years. During recess, children often played simple games that needed little or no equipment. Outside, they played leapfrog, swinging, seesaw, baseball, hide-and-seek, they played tag, kick the can, duck-duck-goose, or Simon Says. They might jump rope, or they might play jacks, or drop clothespins in bottles. When it was time for them to return to class, the teacher would ring the school bell. On days that it rained or was too cold outside, children stayed inside and played paper games like hangman or tic-tac-toe, and they also played hide the thimble, hot or cold, and who's got the button? Sometimes they would sing or play games like musical chairs. And once again, most of these activities were directed by the only staff member in these schools, the teacher. And of the lessons learned, they were taught reading, writing, spelling, penmanship, arithmetic, geography, and language. Older students helped the younger students. And in the morning, the young children practiced reading, slate writing, and copying letters and numbers. And then in the afternoon, they did more slate work, reading and spelling. And students also did recitations or reading aloud from famous stories or poems. The teacher would work with every grade, spending about 20 minutes with each group. Once again, all of the grades were in the same classroom at the same time. There was no cafeteria in a one-room schoolhouse. Children brought their lunch in a tin bucket or basket, and then they would bring a sandwich or an apple or a boiled egg or carrot or leftovers from dinner. Sometimes they brought a baked potato 
which also kept their hands warm in wintertime. Everyone drank water from the same bucket using the same dipper. The Beckley School was a one-room schoolhouse located at the corner of Helmer and Beckley Roads. The building still stands today as a private business or retail store, and it was built in 1859. But this was the last one-room schoolhouse to close in the area, and it did not close until 1957. It was one of the last one-room schoolhouses that was still being used around Battle Creek during that time. Children attended school there for 98 years, which was just two years short of a full century. And today, if you go around Battle Creek, you can find some historic markers. There is the Seventh-day Adventist Historic Village. You will also see displays at the Kimball House Museum. If you go over there, they have some information on the early schools there. Uh, as I mentioned before, there is currently a display at the Willard Library until like the first week of March. So if you have time, go on over there and take a look at some of the artifacts and pictures and items that they have on display there. But there's also a historic marker downtown on the spot where the first log schoolhouse in Battle Creek was built. And it's on West Michigan Avenue across from the Erastus Hussey historic marker. And it's about halfway between the... Methodist Church and Mill Race Park on that block. It's uh, in a parking lot area now. And there's some detailed information on that historic marker. So the history of one-room schoolhouses around the Battle Creek area and in Calhoun County began in the early 1830s. Battle Creeks was first built in 1834. And the last known operating one-room schoolhouse in the Battle Creek area was the Beckley School, which closed in 1957. So that's well over a century of one-room schoolhouses in the area being used. And it's a fascinating history, as well as the history of Warren B. Shepard, who was the first schoolmaster in Battle Creek. But that's going to conclude today's topic on one-room schoolhouses and the first schoolmaster in the Battle Creek area. If you enjoyed listening to today's story, please be sure to leave a rating or review on whatever app that you are listening on. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I am always happy to hear from my listeners. If you go over to michaeldelaware.com, you can still pre-order my book, for, that is coming out on March 11th, and that is Victorian Southwest Michigan True Crime. And also check out my calendar of upcoming events where I will be speaking about the book all over Southwest Michigan. So no matter where you are listening from to this podcast, you'll probably find that I will be speaking somewhere in your area. And I'll be telling stories from the book about uh, true crime events that happened uh, that are included in the collection of 17 stories in that book. And the reason I'm asking you to pre-order, just to give you kind of a context, when you're an independent author, there are no book deal or advanced payments that you get when you're a small independent author on this type of a scale. So it's all up to you to finance everything if you're going to put out the book. Now, I'm working with a publisher where they're covering the cost of the publication, but for me to go on a book tour, I have to buy all of my books up front. 
And it's usually easier if I have some pre-orders in. It makes my initial purchase go a little bit larger so that it will carry me throughout the summer with books for all these different events. And also gives me a prediction of how many books to put into people's hands that first week when the books arrive. And I just placed my first large order of books uh, just yesterday as I'm recording this with the publisher, and that will be shipping to me probably the first week of March, uh, last week of February is what they told me. So I may have the books to my folks that are pre-ordering almost a week before the uh, release date, according to what they were telling me just the other day at the publisher. It all depends on shipping and that sort of thing. So they're shipping a little bit earlier than I expected because they want to anticipate any potential delays that could come with shipping. So it all comes down to uh, the delivery schedules of the shippers, I guess. So, And if you're listening to this episode after the release date of March 11th, at a later date, you can still purchase the book on my website. In fact, I encourage you to do that with every author that comes out with their own book. If they're selling a copy of their book on their own website, definitely buy it from there instead of places like Amazon or Barnes & Noble because the author gets more of the royalties that way. And if you want to reward the research and, and help authors out that are spending all their time to create and bring you these stories of history that you enjoy, you're going to pay the same amount for the book on their website as you are on Amazon, and you'll put more money in their pocket by doing so. And that's one of the reasons that I suggest doing the pre-order uh, with me uh, rather than give your money to Amazon, because most of the money from the pre-order will go to me and uh, ordering new books to make available to other people. So once again, you can go to michaeldelaware.com and pre-order today. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, I am on Facebook at Michael Delaware Author. You can follow my page there, and I usually post all the updates of what's going on with me uh, regarding the books and the podcast and the YouTube channel. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Michigan History Guy. And I'd love for you guys to start following me there as well as on Facebook. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales and stories from yesteryear, and we venture down another road into Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.